Hello and welcome back to Hey I Like, the podcast where we talk about all things that make our little neurodivergent brains go bonkers. We are joined today by my good friend Piff Puff, who is now going to introduce themselves and tell us what we're going to be talking about today. Hi, I'm Piff. Um, I also go by Piff Puff. Uh, I am a junior in my college undergrad, and I'm really into the you know art of storytelling in all types of media. And today we are talking about the trope of the strong female character. And today it's not actually it, technically I do like the trope if it's done right, and that's what we're going to get into. <laughs> yes, I think that most tropes sort of fall into that category of things that we like if they're done well and if they're not done well they're not something that we like <laughs> exactly and so what i'm going to focus on in the beginning is actually the stuff i don't like about it and you know the mainstream idea of the strong female character and how like that has its issues and then after i talk about that i'm going to get into where it does look good and how it, like how you can use that trope in a enlightening and fresher way that appeals to a the more the audience that it's t- supposed to appeal to you know what i mean yes and if you don't i'll talk about it <laughs> <laughs> well i know what you mean it's just whether everyone else does at home yeah also we've talked about this like before so <laughs> yes for for people listening at home this is the second time we've recorded this episode because i was an idiot and lost the first recording <laughs> so <laughs> yeah <laughs> So take two, let's go. Where are we starting today? <laughs> okay, well, I guess what we'll start with is, hmm. I guess let's talk about what the strong female character trope to you is, like, or what you, the first thing you think about when you hear that. Whether it's negative or positive, just like, what do you think when you hear about it? I mean, we're here to talk about what you think about it, but. <laughs> yes, I know, um... but I need like, I need you to work with me, babe. <laughs> Uh, I guess when I think of the strong female character, it inherently goes in with that sort of um, strong, independent woman who don't need no man kind of thing. Um, the the whole feisty girl who uh, is really physically capable and physically strong, which I think is the exact interpretation of the trope that we both don't like. Um, so why that's my first thought when I hear that, I don't know, but yeah well it's probably because the context of this is you know repeated but honestly yes that is exactly what i think of as well um in the same sense like for me a strong female character trope when you first say that to me my first emotion is typically negative and you know that shouldn't be the case because i really love seeing like you know female-led stories or you know other genders other than just a cis male but you know hey (laughs) that's my initial thoughts when I hear that is first of all negative and then I also think of a character that is probably in an action movie of some sort um or yeah in an action movie and is probably physically very capable yeah like a fighter or something and is also someone who has a very strong personality kind of brash sometimes a little more masculine of a personality and that's where I want to start off so one of the things that I'm going to use as my example right now is a movie and book, well, mainly a book series 
that was recently made into a Netflix movie or two. I didn't watch the second one, though, because it's bad. But, um, <laughs> yes, so this is a book series called the Enola Holmes series. I don't know if, I don't know how many people have heard of it, the actual book series itself, but I do feel like a lot more people have been exposed to the, um, the fandom, I guess, through Netflix's adaptation of the book. But yeah, what like, I wanted I know, to do... I know I've heard about the Netflix, but I hadn't heard about the books before you mentioned yes, it. So. exactly. Which is really sad because the books are the best thing in the world. They were my yeah. whole childhood and I still read them as an adult and they're still really good. But we're not here to talk about how, you know, book and movie adaptations like are always, you know, difficult to do and kind of messed up at times. That's not, what I wanted to talk about was the fact that because these two, the reason these two are so different from each other and a lot of people who have read the books really disliked the movie is that it, the, the basis of the character, the, the lead character, the strong female character in both of them had very different, I guess, roots, if that makes sense. Yeah. When you look at the movie, actually, let's start with the book better. <laughs> When you look at the book series, this is, um, the premise is basically, this is Sherlock Holmes's younger sister, and her mother goes missing, and she's going through trying to solve mysteries, while also um, evading her brothers trying to put her into a boarding school so that she becomes a proper Victorian woman, quote-unquote, because she's not one. She's very atypical in that sense. Um, and the main thing about her character is that she is able to solve mysteries, find her mother, this and that and the other, because what she does is she focuses on the things that are so integral to women and so associated with women that they're often overlooked. That's how she's able to evade her brothers and solve things and save people before her brothers can even try to. Um, some of the examples of this is like she deciphers codes that are stitched in through embroidery on a dress um she does things like you know pay attention to the color of wax seals she pays attention to the language of flowers that's how she finds her mother and all these it's kind of spoilery by the way my bad but not too spoilery (laughs) but yes i mean a lot of these things and also the language of fans but yes a lot of these things that she these tools that she uses to find and solve and basically you know do her own thing and be the center of a story and effectively do so is by focusing on things that are traditionally associated with women and things that she herself has never discounted even though she has not herself been capable of doing yeah this is going to come up later but in the movies however i haven't seen the second one so i'm just going to say movie actually because i don't even know if the second one has released or not and i'm probably not going to watch it because the first one sucked so bad but The movie, on the other hand, had this thing where it used Enola Holmes as a character, and it used the story of a sort. But what it did to Enola as a female character was did the exact thing that you see in almost every live-action action movie t- to date. You see a strong female character in the form of one whose main focus is on her fighting capability. Immediately in the movies, like there's barely any deductive reasoning there's barely any focus on the language of flowers or any sort of feminine things that she straight up actually says i don't care for embroidery and this and that and the other and paints it in a very negative light which is the exact when i tell you it is the exact opposite of a quote that she said in the book like word for word the exact opposite yeah yeah it's ridiculous like 
that then is implies that they have read the books. Yes, <laughs> I, I know exactly no. what she said, and deliberately. I think that's what killed me because Millie Bobby Brown herself, when but before the movie came out, was telling us about telling people about like how she read the books and stuff like that, and that's how she guided her performance and the storytelling of this movie. And then I watched the movie and I was like, wow, you're fucking illiterate. My bad, I <laughs> Yeah. Like, okay, you clearly have no understanding for the character that you're deciding to play. And even though you read the book, you basically looked at it, shat on it, and wiped your ass with it. Like, the, you did none of your homework. My bad. Like, I, how? How can you read this book and get that out of it? Especially, another thing that really bothered me was like, again, Enola knowing that her brothers would assume that she would take up masculine disguises and disguise herself as a male to run away from them because she is a more tomboyish character, actually leans into the idea of being a woman. And her first few disguises are either of an old woman, a seamstress, um, like um, an older school teacher, or also just a straight up beautiful woman, like a conventionally beautiful woman, full makeup, you know, dress and stuff like that. All of it. Yeah. And then, and she used that as her strength. And again, I'll get into this a little later. But in the movie, however, the first thing, she, literally in the books, the, the only time she dressed up as a man was in the last book, and it was only once. Yeah. In the movie, the first thing she does is dress up as a boy. And she consistently does so. It's at least two, three times in that movie. Only I think it was once or twice that she actually dressed up as a woman. And I think the one time she did, it was the same outfit the full time. So it wasn't a different disguise. It was just one. Well, that's a disappointment. It it really is. And I think the main thing that bothered me about it, like, again, you can change different aspects of a story. That's fine. But when you change it fundamentally by by basically taking all the aspects of a character that make her a strong one and basically flush it on the toilet and use more conventionally I, yeah it's it's so painful <laughs> i think my issue especially is like when she dresses up as a woman when she does that when she leans into it what it allows her to do is talk more directly to women understand women better this and that and the other you know it's things that she's able to get into places that men aren't because they really just don't care to in that you know in that story and it also highlights like that women have strengths other like, that you know aren't typically perceived as strengths in a more patriarchal society you know like having emotional intelligence all these things that you know attention to detail in conversation and also things like you know gift giving and all those sort of household conventions if not like social conventions that women are typically more expected to know about than men that sort of thing is what makes her character so important and so effective. And by taking all that and instead replacing it with things that are effectively, like, you know, the most appreciated aspects or, like, the most important aspects of masculinity and male power fantasy, and using that to describe her as a strong female character in the movie, it it fundamentally changes what her character is, you know? And it also... it it kind of just destroys the point of the story itself. Yeah. The point is that she is capable of doing these things being a woman, not despite being a woman, but because of being a woman. Meanwhile, in the movies, it's more of a, she can do this despite being a woman because she doesn't act like a woman. She acts like a man. And so that's where I kind of wanted to segue into, like, 
what I mean by a strong female character in a good sense versus a bad. Kind of a long segue, but you know, I need to set the stage. Yes. Um, when it comes to a strong female character, when you read, when you see those action movies and stuff like that, when you watch things, and you know, the first thing that is so blatantly obvious is that it is a woman who does not want to be a woman or does not want to act like a woman. And I'm not using this. I mean, like, you know, women are incredibly diverse, both, you know, gender, race, ethnicity, you know, all of those things, all of it. They are yeah. so diverse. Now, like, you know, there's no, there's no definition of a woman. When I say that she doesn't want to act like a woman, I mean that she has, she actively describes activities and pastimes that are associated with women or like emotional states that are associated with women like for example being in love finding you know being a significant other wanting to be in a relationship all those things that are typically associated with like femininity or um, motherhood or sisterhood all those things you know any sort of thing that's associated with a woman's realm in typical society those are things that they actively distance themselves from in the quote-unquote strong female character of your typical mainstream media yeah and i don't like that because it's just you know it's just another male character with tits you know yeah like basically there's there's no there's there's really nothing it's just he-man with a boob job i guess like (laughs) there's there's nothing (laughs) there's just no substance to it you know it's like how can you because I think the worst part is when you're talking about this trope, it's somehow I feel like directors and people who write these stories act like having this strong female character will appeal to women, but they also want to appeal to like a male power fantasy. So yeah. it's weird because like they want to appeal to women, but I feel like a lot of women don't actually relate to this character, you know? Because it's yeah. like, how, how can you relate to something that's just so one-dimensional, I guess? Because they really don't give the woman as, as many dimensions as a man is allowed to have in the situation. Yeah. Because a man, a strong, like, you know, a male lead character can have a significant other, can have a, you know, a backstory, can have friends, can have this and that and the other. He can have a lot of different dimension to them. But a female character... Of the, of the same, I guess, fighting caliber or like status cannot have those sorts of things, lest those things be attributed to weaknesses and make her a less interesting character. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And I think you're right. Um, you quite it's it's quite rare to see uh, female characters who are depicted as being like multidimensional. Yeah, well, multidimensional, but also, like, strong characters who have interests that are traditionally feminine. Yeah, Um, exactly. The most common interpretation of a strong female character is one who completely shuns everything that is considered feminine or, like, a womanly role or whatever. And it's always sort of portrayed as this really progressive thing, like, women don't have to be housewives and have children and get married and it's like but it's not you're just taking all the things that you would give to a male character making them worse and shoving it on a on a female character in the name of being 
progressive, but you're not actually really doing anything with it. You're not doing anything interesting. Well, it makes me angry. <laughs> For sure. And here's the thing, right? Like you're talking about a progressive kid. They want progressives, right? They're like, oh, you know, having a strong female character makes us look like we are, you know, breaking boundaries. But are you, re- look at it, are you really? I think the, um, the, the, the important part of that is it looks like yes exactly they're, doing no, that's they're the not thing. actually doing anything and they don't even because want about- to do it for the sake of like benefiting storytelling or yeah. like appealing to a female demographic at all they're doing it so that they can stick a label on it that says we've got a female character yeah and you know i think it's especially because like think about it before assume there isn't a strong female character we haven't even talked about like any of this stuff typically in our society things that are associated with femininity are associated as lesser than or weaker you know just just culturally and then you go into taking a strong female character and you give her you tell her to shun those things just like the men are doing and then act like a man so you're just doubly you're you're just doubling down on the sexism and the misogyny yeah. if that makes sense yeah. you know what i mean you're just doubling down on it and you're like oh well it's okay to feel like to think it's lesser than because this woman does too and it's like well no, was the woman written by a man really. first of all <clears throat> anyways like you're still saying but, yeah. that you can't be a yeah. strong a strong saying- woman unless you are doing male things it's, exactly yeah. it's 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 the same story over and over again and i don't it's not as progressive as people want to think it is especially writers and it's time it was acknowledged so yes. again what i want to see what i mean by a strong female character when i see it in a good light personally i mean it in a way that a character is even if they are physically strong they can be physically strong they don't have to be regardless i don't need them to have any sort of defining concept of like oh they're a fighter oh they're like a healer oh they're this and then the other it doesn't matter to me what matters to me is that like the essence of the character is not one is multi-dimensional and is not one that like i guess doubles down on the sexism you know what i mean yeah it needs a little more than just one-dimensional i can fight and i don't want to be like other girls because that's what the whole thing is it's literally just i'm not like other girls which is no which is toxic yeah it's just it just perpetuates the same thing that like you have to fit into a very specific convention and a very specific like personality for other people to take you seriously and other people to like you and i'd like to see a strong female character that doesn't have to be liked that doesn't have to be strong that can do whatever the hell she wants and still still have enough substance to carry a story because that is the most important thing, the story. That's the reason these characters exist. They're telling a story. And I think the hardest part is to read, like, you know, movies and, I mean, sorry, read books and watch movies and see all these TV shows and look at all these new authors as well who are also perpetuating this thing where they need to have this character as a, there's typically a female, like young adult novels, all of them lately. It's just, you know, a, a female character is the lead but she has not she barely has enough substance to carry the story on her own she has to have like a love triangle or this or that and the other you know what i mean yeah have enough herself 
as a character to carry it. And, and that's why I don't read YA fiction. <laughs> it's so, so difficult because it's like, I love fantasy and I cannot find a fantasy book that isn't YA. <laughs> and like, I think the they definitely is, like, exist. They do exist. I know. And the thing is, it's like, even if you want to read YA, like the problem is YA is so associated with these these tropes themselves, along with like other really annoying ones that like you cannot find. It's very rare for you to find a YA book that doesn't have. And I also find that really concerning. And that's another thing I was going to get into with this topic is that if you look at the movies and the TV shows that are aimed towards young adult readers so that be around you know uh, late middle school to you know all the way up to probably college years as well um and honestly a lot of people read YA even if they're not of those age ranges but again those stories that you're seeing with you know a character that and even movies as well nowadays but you know movies typically don't really have because they're on streaming it's not like it really has an age range like restriction so anyone can watch them all these stories tell the same thing that, like, you know, there's something inherently wrong with wanting to, you know, not be a fighter or not be, you know, it's just like, it's again, it's this, it's just ingraining this story of women and their interests being subpar compared to men's, but across yeah. generations. And it's just seeding it in younger and younger you know and it's funny because you talk about it like this right but when you look at books that were aimed towards young children and when you talk about books that were aimed towards and the tv shows that are aimed towards kids like younger than them you know the younger age yes that is somewhere where you actually don't usually see the idea that a woman has to be strong in some sort of like you know you're conventionally like like literally strong as a female character and like not like a boy or like a male or any sort of you know patriarchal standards you look at those stories and they really heavily lean into like the really girly stuff or like you know (laughs) like really like pink and frilly kind of thing and it's funny because they still are able to have like a personality and they're still able to tell a story through those characters. I mean, I don't know if you've watched Shira, but Shira and I the Princess yeah. of Power. Yeah, that's one of that's one example, you know? That every single female character, female and male character actually, in that story, and you know, every gender in between actually, because they had a very really, really a diverse like character um, cast. But every single character in that story through had incredible character arcs had incredible self-development and also had really staple personality traits that didn't make them 2d even though it's literally 2d animation like they were able to make such full characters in a way that a lot of books tvs movies etc like have no have no concept of they are just completely unable to do it and i think it's really wild to me <laughs> yeah because like thinking about it a lot of the books that are particularly good at sort of portraying female characters who are strong in their own right but not necessarily in a um 
in a sort of traditionally masculine way rather than like yeah it's the happy medium between the girls who are all pretty in pink and not able to do anything and the the stereotype of the strong female character tm um often those books are the ones that are for i don't want to say middle grade because that's not what like kind <laughs> of thing that we have here but like sort of you know age sort of nine to twelve just before you hit the tmya sort of thing but after you've sort of graduated from the really young kids books um and that's when you tend to sort of see the most diverse and most um like three-dimensional characters i think even going into adult fiction um you still quite Mm -hmm. often see the same sorts of tropes especially sort of new adult um so, you know, maybe there's a reason that a lot of us are incredibly nostalgic for the books that we read when we were at sort of the end of primary school, yes. beginning of secondary school. Honestly, because it just feels like everything is the same now. And, yeah. you know, I think that's, what, I guess it's concerning to me because clearly if this trope is something that is present in so many books and movies and TV shows that are upcoming like now and have continued to have been like upcoming then clearly there is some sort of appeal to people about this. Like this, I mean, I'm not saying everyone likes it, but clearly enough people like it that this it's it's perpetuating, you know, trope. It hasn't yeah. stopped. I haven't seen it slow down any. So I'm just like, it's sad because like when you have movies like Birds of Prey, for example, where you have so you have like actually strong female characters in the physical sense, but also like the, um. I guess emotional and like there are so many other aspects of them just besides being strong and it does it very it is very defiant against ever leaning into the idea that they have to be masculine to be strong like it is it's very strongly against that idea yeah movies like that don't do well like critically and you know sometimes even audience wise and so it's like it's concerning because it's like well, I'm not sure where, I'm not even sure where to go from there, you know? It's like, how can you, it just concerns me, like, why is it that we could sit, like still feel this need to have to conform to patriarchal stereotypes and patriarchal, you know, values to feel like we are worthy of being a strong female character of our own lives and of our own stories? You know, the ones that we write, the ones that we tell, the ones that we live. Yeah. My sort of question, I guess, in terms of everything is sort of, everything is the same and everything is sort of drawing on this, uh, this sort of trope and how they mm-hmm. m- it must be popular because of that would be, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy in that um, because there's so much of it around, um, you can't find things that don't fulfill that trope and therefore the publishers and the sort of studio executives think that it is popular because it's what's selling, um, but it's only selling because it's the only thing that's there. Um, yeah, but then honestly. because that's what's selling, nothing else gets a look in because ultimately publishers and studios and things are looking for things that sell. Um, mm-hmm. They don't like to take risks. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, it's very crazy. difficult to navigate. 
And it's just so frustrating to me as a reader. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's, it's frustrating. Like... It's frustrating to me too, because you know, like I have to teach kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> who read all these things, and it's like I want to find all the good books for them, and there are so many very good books coming out um, more recently, but a lot of uh, school libraries tend to cling on to the the same old books by the same old authors. We're seeing a lot of um, a lot of stuff about Roald Dahl at the moment in the media, um, and mm. there's not a lot of room for schools to move away from the old sort of the old crowd. But yeah, a lot sure. of the stuff that is new, because there's been so much of the same stuff, um, a lot of the stuff that's new isn't necessarily good it's very commercialized so you have to be very careful and i don't have the time to read yeah. all of that <laughs> for sure and i think it's the same thing like if you're looking for a movie right you know i mean often we're like oh, okay well does it pass the special test but it's like does it even matter like a lot of movies do but they're still really misogynistic yeah like <laughs> so that was like... literally meant to be that's the bar is on the it's floor bare minimum. <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like oh well this movie did that i mean technically Anola holmes did and i'm like and what about it you know like it doesn't make it, it doesn't good. matter <laughs> it doesn't it really doesn't and it's like how can you use this as a a baseline like it's it's really sad that that's what our baseline is yes because i mean here we are we're begging and bleeding for diversity of skin color ethnicity uh gender and identity and sexual orientation and all of these things on camera and on like any sort of in any sort of form of media but does it even matter because we can't even we can't give these people these genders these all of these things we can't give them any sort of depth of character it doesn't matter we're still conforming to the white patriarchal design it doesn't matter if you have a muslim character because she's still not she doesn't she doesn't act like when she acts like the most you know whitewashed and i guess you know sanitized version that you could possibly provide and call yeah. it a representation same thing goes with a gay character and a, like a gay couple with a child another the same thing goes with female characters like we like were just talking about it's really hard to get talk about diversity in film and in you know in books when it's done in such a not fan servicey, but like it's done in such a sanitized way that it, there's really nothing. There's no substance to it. And yeah. I think it's just a fear of being controversial or not liked. Because I think I think the thing is that movies and books and all those things that appeal that you know do have a you know a not quote unquote strong female character, but a female lead that has substance to her or any sort of lead that has substance to them by having that and having it like be genuinely and truly of itself like it's its own identity rather than having to you know submit itself to the whims of other people and you know the cultural ideologies the problem is when you when you want to appeal to like the truth of that sort of topic you lose so many so much of the audience i guess because it's not yeah. meant for a lot of people or like a lot of people are just only looking for the sanitized versions it can't relate to anything other than that now so it's just hard. which is really depressing <laughs> it's really really sad because 
You know, the stories that need to be told, the stories that are worth being heard, are not the stories that we get to hear. Because the ones that we yeah. do get to hear are the ones that are appeal to the the widest audience based, ba- widest audience base, which is typically, you know, your Western audience. And your Western yeah. audience, unfortunately, is very, very brainwashed by the, well, I guess brainwashed is a little harsh, but still brainwashed in the sense by the male, you know, white patriarchal society or societal values, you know? Yeah. It's it's quite unfortunate and it's depressing. It is. <laughs> but I guess, like, I don't, I don't even know where to go from there, you know? It's like, you want, this is kind of depressing, I'm realizing, this episode. But what I mean is, you know, there are a lot of stories that I want to hear, you know? Yeah. And I feel like there are so many books and stuff that, and movies that do have that stuff. So like, for example, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes. Again, the All Home series. Um, other, like, book series and stories. Even older ones. Like, ones, even, like, Shakespeare had. Yes. Strong female characters that, you know, maybe on your first read, you think, oh, this is just, like, a really stereotypical, like, hysterical woman or, like, a really, you know, the typical, you know, coy and, I guess, suspicious woman. But the thing is, when you look at those characters and you're on a reread, if you actually go, like, and look at the text and look at the themes and stories that the, that, you know, Shakespeare is trying to tell, you realize that his characters are not that, are not at all one-dimensional. His female characters especially have a lot to offer. And, you know, I feel like a lot of times are exploiting the loopholes that society, you know, that society placed on them in terms of societal, I mean, cultural norms for them. You know, like they use the things that are supposed to be, that are typically associated with them in a negative way, and they use it to their advantage. Yeah. Now, I know the last time we had this discussion, we each had a Shakespeare example mm-hmm. of a, mm-hmm. a strong female character who was not like what we would consider in the modern day interpretation of like what a female character, a strong female character is. So mm-hmm. are we going to repeat that bit or <laughs> is that too tangential? Can, if you'd like. You, I think I really want to hear yours again because I really like the way you talked about yours. And I'll like, uh, I'll, before we can talk about, instead of going to my Shakespeare ones, so we don't have two Shakespeare things. I can obviously go into like Jane Austen or something. Like that. Yeah. So it doesn't um, sound like it's all. <laughs> <laughs> I but, basically am incredibly enthusiastic about Shakespeare because uh, my degree was in English, so we did a lot of Shakespeare. Um, but uh, one of the, I say one of the Shakespeare plays, I think that are the most complex in terms of their characters and their character arcs and their plots are um, they're known as the problem plays. Uh, so they're ones that don't fit neatly into the definitions of comedy, tragedy, or history. Uh, there's a couple of them. Uh, they include like the Tempest. Um, but the one that I, I love The Tempest so much, but my favourite Shakespeare character of all time is, uh, is from Measure for Measure, which is another one of the problem plays. And her name is Isabella, and she is an ace icon, I swear, but they didn't have that terminology then, so you can't, you're not allowed to use it in an academic concept, uh, context. But 
all the signs are there i'm telling you <laughs> um so for for context for people who haven't read this play or seen it um the play is set in vienna in a time when a lot of laws were being passed that made um like sexual activity and promiscuity really illegal uh it like carried the death penalty kind of illegal um and isabella wants to be a nun so she wants to go into the convent uh, she's very religious but her reasoning for going into the convent and becoming a nun is not necessarily because she's really religious that's just sort of a side effect uh, the reason why she wants to go into the convent is because she doesn't want to get married and have sex with people specifically that reason <laughs> not that she doesn't like not that she doesn't want to um get involved with womanly activities or um be like a, a typical woman or anything like that it's got nothing to do with any kind of upset at her gender it is just that she doesn't like the idea of having sex with people which i can relate to <laughs> so isabella's brother is not like her he wants to get married to this girl they are engaged but before they can get married he gets his fiance pregnant so he is uh, locked up in prison and scheduled to be executed because of all these new um all these new laws about sexual activity so um isabella is like no thank you i don't want my brother to be executed <laughs> He's my only family. So she goes to the guy who is basically acting as the Duke because the Duke is gone somewhere. He just like leaves his second in command in charge for a while and says, I'm leaving now. Bye. Uh, he comes back. It's fine. Oh. Um, but yeah, so he leaves his, uh, his second in command in charge and his name is Angelo. And Angelo is um, very puritanical. That's why all these laws are being passed. Um, so Isabella goes to him and it's just like, so I know that what my brother did was wrong, <laughs> but also consider he's my brother <laughs> and I would like him to not die. <laughs> um, and Angelo's response, this is basically, I'll let him go if you have sex with me. Oh my um, God. So he's blackmailing her, which is fun. Uh, but she doesn't. She doesn't stand for any of that nonsense. Um, I believe she. He sort of falls in love with her because she's really smart and is really good at debating with him. They get this mm. back and forth going quite quickly in that they both sort of hate each other, and it's very obvious that they hate each other. But they get this back and forth going that's really that's really interesting to listen to. Um, not like in a Beatrice and Benedict from Much Ado About Nothing kind of way where it's funny because they're insulting each other. They're just really, they're both very clever people debating with each other and it's it's fascinating, honestly. Um, they're very sort of evenly matched in terms of debating skills. Uh, so he falls in love with her because of that. Um, but she is uh, not very impressed <laughs> with his proposition. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically tells him to his face that she would rather die than have sex with anybody, which is great. Love that. Thank you for the ace rep, Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> and her master plan that she comes up with, with the help of the Duke, who has returned in disguise as a monk, um, is to find the woman that Angelo was meant to marry and uh, kind of skipped out on and abandoned. Um, mm. And 
trick Angelo into thinking that he is having sex with Isabella when actually he's having sex with his ex-fiance and then because they've slept together they then have to get married oh wow so they they trick him into upholding his end of the deal (laughs) um but it's basically like a for the most for the majority of the play with the like with the exception of angelo who is the villain the male characters kind of take the back seat um it's very much a sort of a female empowerment kind of play but in the sense of the women are not using their physical strength they're using their their brains they're using their cunning they're using their actual wiles i guess uh but not in a sort of not in a sort of a weird seductive kind of way but like in a we know that the men are stupid and will fall for it kind of way um and it's just it's really interesting because it's the kind of thing that if you if it was written in the modern day and you read it without knowing who it was written by, you would assume it was written by a woman. Um, no, because they, they yeah. win in the end, you know, they, their plan works. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a fascinating play and it, it's a problem play because it sort of fulfills all the tick boxes of a comedy because there's, you know, there's a wedding at the end. It's about romance. Um, you know, there are jokes in it. <laughs> Some quite risque jokes, you know, there's a hey, lot that's of in this play. Um, but it's a problem play because it's also, it gets quite dark in places. Like there's a lot, it's a social commentary basically, but yeah. it's um, there's a lot of stuff going on that isn't very funny at all. Um, the very last scene um features isabella being proposed to by the duke and it's an open-ended play in that the duke proposes and it is not written into the play how she responds to that proposal so different directors and different productions will portray will either not portray a reaction they will like draw the curtains uh while they're still sort of standing around staring at each other (laughs) They will, um, they will either have her accepting the proposal normally by not necessarily saying anything because the lines aren't written into the play, but by taking his hand and dancing with him, or they will show her rejecting him outright by turning away and walking off. But it's very, very rare to see a production where they don't have some kind of physical representation of an answer from her, even though that is not written into the play. Because having it just end with sort of a, hey, will you marry me? And then the curtains close (laughs) um, is the kind of thing that audiences, I guess, statistically don't like. But that is probably how it would have been performed in Shakespeare's time. And so it's quite interesting to see different productions of it and see how they grapple with this this fact that it's, A, that it's a problem play. Uh, do you play it as a comedy? Do you play it as a tragedy? Do you play it straight and just go make up your own mind? How do you do this ending? Do you show her accepting it? Do you show her rejecting it? Do you not show any response at all? How do you do it? It's yeah, it's interesting to watch. I've only ever seen it in theaters once, but I would one hundred percent go again. Um, but you have to go into it with the knowledge of what happens because otherwise it's not going to be it's not that you're going to be lost if you don't know what happens it's that you're going to get blindsided by the fact that this poor girl is getting 
blackmailed into having sex with a government official on stage. Um, so, yeah. So that's my Shakespeare I, example. That it's not Lady yourself. Macbeth. The Tumblr people are going to be so mad about this. <laughs> I know, exactly. And honestly, though, I love that because I think automatically people would assume, like, you know, we're talking about, we're going to talk about Lady Macbeth, which, I mean, yeah, she's great and all, but I think that it's worth talking about other characters, like other stories, because I want yeah. to show that there are stories out there, you know, that they do exist. And again, yeah. when you talk about, um, you know, Shakespeare, another character for me was like Portia from The Merchant of Venice, again, does the same thing, uses her cunning and manipulates, like, you know, legal, I guess, you know, the laws of their land and like the laws of their government that kind of trap people in in a situation and using that to get their freedom for example yeah. with you know with your example it was she uses those laws to get him to you know marry have to marry someone else and in a similar way like you know Portia uses those laws to get um her own freedom and like have control over her own money yeah rather than like you know having it be in the control of her husband or her father so I think another example would definitely be a lot of Jane Austen's work. You know, she has very, you know, female, like all of her stories are female led, you know. And as far as I know, I haven't read all of them, but I'm pretty damn sure none of them have them doing any sort of physical feats of like, you know, your. No. <laughs> exactly. They don't have like actual feats of strength by the women, but they are still very strong female characters because. They have a lot of personality. They have very defining traits. They have a, they have actual wants and needs and desires, and they also have you know things that they will and won't do. And they have the chance to have character development and all those things. And they can still enjoy you know female things like you know they can still want to be in a relationship. They can still, um, you know, want to dress up, want to look nice, want to do this and that and the other. You know, want to be a good sister, a good mother, a good you know person in their family like you know yeah. a familial role they you know want to fill up all those you know social I guess those social requirements or like those social like you know typically female so like you know social circles they want to act in those ways they don't have an issue with that the issue is more so like you know trying to find the right person who understands that you know yeah who respects them without having them you know, have to reduce themselves in any sort of manner or, like, have to, you know, bow to their whims. Yeah, and I think I remember very vividly having our first seminar at university on Jane Austen um, because we got into a sort of debate in our seminar over whether, because uh, we were talking about Pride and Prejudice and we were talking mm -hmm. about whether or not it counted as a feminist text. Absolutely. Um, obviously, yeah. the, 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 con the concept of feminism didn't exist yet, but exactly. through a modern lens, did it count as feminist literature? Uh, and it wasn't really much of a debate because we all pretty much agreed on it. It was just the seminar leader playing devil's advocate and <laughs> saying, yeah. but consider they all <laughs> end up getting up. married at the end. They all fall into that sort of social expectation and for it's women like, at is the that time. A problem, and it's though? like, exactly a it's not actually a problem that they did that and b that in and of the fact that they all do that is in and of itself a critique of those social expectations exactly um, like they never portray um lizzie's friend charlotte is that her name 
Uh, yeah, exactly. They never, they never portray her as like a villain or really criticize her at all for marrying Mr. Collins, even though yeah, he is, in text, a bit of a dick. <laughs> um, it's always... It's always an, it's a shame that she felt the need to, and, and Lizzie yeah. obviously feels very upset about it, but sure. she she's ne it's never like portrayed as the, the bad option, right? Yeah, like it's exactly. always portrayed as her protecting herself and her doing like, what is right for her exactly. social standing and her own life. Um, and I think that it's really in, in that way she is then being a strong like female character because she is taking yeah. control of her own life like she is the one who convinced Mr. Collins to propose to her exactly <laughs> not the other way around he didn't get rejected by Lizzie and then immediately go next door and go I'm gonna marry her friend instead he didn't even know she existed <laughs> and she was yes, the one who persuaded him to do that so yeah yeah, and that's precisely it. Like, again, it's a social commentary where it's like, well, you know, think about it. If Lizzie cannot, you know, find someone, this might end up having to be her as well. And it's just Lizzie's stubbornness that, you know, propels her to, you know, kind of look elsewhere. But also it's the same thing that she has to work on and realize that, like, I am also being very prejudiced towards this person. And, you know, you know, yeah. all the, you, you all know the story. If you don't know the story, read yes. the book. Watch a movie Everyone has character growth in this story, exactly. and that is an amazing thing. And I think that's another thing where it's like, I think especially older texts fall into this thing where it's like, oh, is this really a strong female character? And it's like, well, first of all, you have to recognize that the social environment and the, you know, the customs at that time were not the same, you know? Yes. So you didn't have to, like, a strong female character did not, like, a character, a female, just a female lead, period, you know, did not have to act like a man to be a you know a proper storytelling device yeah and there's no and i think again another thing is like when you're talking about oh well these characters get married at the end is that a problem like why is it such an issue that if someone wants to have a, rom a romantic attachment and decides that yes i want to get married i know yeah. i obviously understand that like okay if you're if you're like society forces marriage upon you or like says like if you know marriage is not if you don't get married then like that's a some sort of like sin or like it's a bad thing obviously that's different but again that's a societal like that's a societal thing i'm not necessarily getting into that what i mean is that like in a basic level why is it that we expect that a woman for her to be strong cannot have emotional attachment and i think a lot of it is sort of we talk a lot about how it's this a social commentary but our idea of what a strong female character is and how that equates to a masculinity but also in uh, being independent of anyone else mm -hmm. is sort of a reflection of what our like western society is like i guess and that we as a society very much value people being independent and not needing any support from anyone Whereas Absolutely. I think it would be very different if you were writing from a society like, say, those in like East Asia, where they're a lot more collectivist, where mm -hmm. everything is based on the community, would a strong, their idea of a strong female character be much different from ours? Would they still value independence the same way? Or would they think very differently? Would a strong female character in that 
sort of society be one who can provide the most for the community um so that's like something for people to start thinking about when they are writing i guess absolutely because i mean i'm i am like i'm asian yes brown you know i come from i have a lot of roots i have like my family grew up in the middle east but they're both like you know Indian, Pakistani, like I have a, I grew, I grew up in the U.S. There's a lot of like cultural background within my own family, and it's like it's really difficult to see. It's it's like it's you have to balance sort of the idea of independence and strength as you know in Western society versus like in Middle Eastern, Eastern Asian society. You know, and it's yeah. really interesting when you can see that like a character has more depth to them than just what society expects of them. But also it's really exciting to see, you know, people using those differences in society, you know, compared like in different geographical areas across the globe, you know, leaning into that and deciding that, hey, I want to represent something that you don't typically see. Because the problem is that because Western media is so popular, it kind of washes out every other kind of, you know, I guess, cultural identity that you can have in books. Mm movies so you don't get to be exposed to those sorts of stories as much and i think that just in general like a diversity of those sorts of stories allows people to see that there are more than just a way to be a strong person forget a strong female character, a strong person in general yeah. like have strength and you know have a bodied character or someone that has like actual substance to them you can have so much more if you're willing to look beyond your own bubble yes And it's the same for anything, I guess. Like, absolutely, absolutely. You, you grow as a person the more you sort of venture out into the wider world. If you're constantly stuck in the exact same environment that you have always been in with the exact same people and the exact same ideas, you're never going to grow. You're never going to learn anything new. And that is basically what life is all about at the end of the day. So, <laughs> absolutely. But I guess, I, what are other stories that you feel like have, or like, have you seen, have you recently seen any movies that actually had like a female character that wasn't like, you know, the tropey strong female character, but like a character that you felt had like essence to them? I have not seen any recent media in a while. <laughs> I have not had time for that sort of nonsense. Um, God. I'm sure we had examples last time. Um, it doesn't have to be recent. If you have anything, honestly, anything, because I'm just thinking through my head right now. Like the most recent thing I can think of that I've seen was probably everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. But um, I'm trying to think because I I literally have not reason so. Long. Um. Because I guess within within are... the past year, <laughs> that's yeah. recent enough. Within it can be a book or a movie year, or a TV show. Any of yeah, those. I'm literally racking my brain right now. I was rereading um, a series of books that I read as a child, and there was a a fourth one, a, a newer book that had come out more recently, and I got that from the library. So, um, and it's going back to that um, sort of eight to twelve sort of age demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when I was sort of eleven ish, um, trying to think when these books came out. Actually, when I was about eleven ish, I was uh, 
very into the Mysterious Benedict Society, which is a series of books that has recently had a mm. Disney adaptation. And the Disney adaptation, I got halfway through season one and dropped because I didn't like the changes they were making. But I there know there's a lot go. of people. Not in terms of like anything in particular, just the vibes weren't quite there. Um, mm. They, they, the things they changed were, I just, it didn't jive with me. Um, but I also think that because of how that, because of how that series and those books worked, <laughs> it would be very difficult to make a good TV or film adaptation of them because the fundamental idea of it was that uh, TV and radio is uh, is bad and a corrupting influence on people. <laughs> Specifically, the news and the thing, re like reading books and um, and newspapers and stuff, is uh, protecting you from the subliminal messaging. Um, so having Disney of all companies make a TV adaptation of it was quite it's ironic. So ironic, I know. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't for me. I know a lot of people like it very much. There are some people who prefer it. That's fine. They're allowed to have their opinions, but. In mm -hmm. terms of like characters, what I thought was particularly nice about these characters is that so there's four sort of main characters. Um, the the four children. There are adults as well, um, and there are two boys and two girls, and they. I don't want to say they're representations of, but they all sort of have. They're all sort of recruited, I guess, in a way to to sign up to fight the bad guys <laughs> because they are smart but they're all smart in different ways right so i think that reading that kind of thing as a child is quite good for children because they can see that you know just because you're not really book smart and good at remembering facts doesn't mean that you're not inherently valuable um so one of the one of the boys has basically a photographic memory he remembers every single thing he's ever read specifically right. read um so when they go abroad for example he knows how to read and write in foreign languages but he can't speak them and he can't understand them when other people are speaking to him so they meet with a guy who uh speaks portuguese um mm -hmm. but can't read or write and this boy can read and write in Portuguese, but can't speak or listen to it. Um, right. So it's, he's very smart, but can't necessarily apply that in all scenarios. And uh, so all four of these characters sort of balance each other out and each of their strengths is another person's weakness. Um, but there are two, two boys and two girls. The two boys are sort of, I guess, the stereotypes of book smart. One as I said, photographic memory, remembers everything he's ever read. The other one is very good at riddles. Um, the two girls, one of them is not the trope of the strong female character, but she's very athletically gifted. She's very good at uh, running, jumping, climbing, things like that. She carries every single piece of equipment she owns in a bright red bucket. <laughs> she is the most three-dimensional sort of representation of that trope that i have read in a in a book um she has her own struggles um she has her own character development and character arc which is all about learning to wait for other people 
<laughs> and not try and do everything on her own just because she is the fastest runner or the strongest climber or the best swimmer doesn't mean that she can do everything on her own and it doesn't mean that she shouldn't slow down and wait for the others to catch up with her um right. so she has this really this really nice character arc um and the the other girl is a literal toddler in the first book she's like two years old three years old but she's uh she's psychic um she she can like read minds and stuff and she's also she's a poet right so she comes up with these really rude and nasty poems about people and it's hilarious i love her to pieces <laughs> Um, so between the four of them, they sort of all cover each other's backs and they all have strengths where the others have weaknesses and they all have these independent character arcs that revolve around them learning how to work together um, and how to, um, yeah, how to work as a team, how to cover each other's backs and how to value their own strengths, but also the strengths of others, regardless of whether they sort of fit what they value personally as making them strong people. They all have these crippling doubts about themselves which is quite funny they all think that they are the worst person on the planet <laughs> except the toddler who thinks she is the best person on the planet and that's why she makes the nasty poems about everyone um but even the adults have sort of similar things there are uh, female characters among the adults who are very smart but also have their own faults that they work on um it's just it's a very well-rounded book series um there are characters of all different types on all different sides mm -hmm. it focuses a lot on found family in particular how because all of the children are either orphans or have been abandoned in some way by their families or failed by their adults um right and about learning to forgive and learning how to accept that family and that love for yourself they're just they're great books <laughs> they are on my future teacher bookshelf so um i highly recommend if people haven't read them don't necessarily recommend the disney series as your first introduction to them but they're they're very good um well i mean yeah. honestly it's rare that anyone ever recommends the adaptation <laughs> as the first intro to anything yeah but i guess it's always it, i think the problem is when you're talking about older book series like a example for me it's Noel Holmes for you it's this you know uh when you're talking about older book series sometimes the only way people get exposed to it is through you know the adaptations yeah but yeah exactly and so I feel like another I guess it's just like we said before the age range that these books are supposed to appeal to when you read them when you're older, you're like, wow, these have so much more substance than most of the books I've read recently. How, yeah. did, you know, how did this happen? The best thing about teaching is that you get to go back and read all the books that you've read as a kid and no one can judge you. Right. Because you teach and children. I, <laughs> it's like, oh no, this is for school. This, this is, is work, I promise. <laughs> this is for the kids, I swear. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, other than that, I really can't think of many other, like, I guess, well, to be fair, I feel like our media typically, I mean, as as of late, is oversaturated with um, superhero movies. And, yeah. Like, very, it's it's not just that, but, like, franchise movies. That's what's really, yeah. you know, 
You don't the get standalone of- things anymore. And I think the problem is, like, when it comes to a franchise sort of situation, they're banking on the fact that you care about the franchise as a whole rather than the actual characters themselves. Yeah. You know? So you start to lose the substance of the character and, like, they put more emphasis into the world building than they do into the actual, um, I guess, writing. Yeah, and, like, you quite often see the with, with these big franchises that mm-hmm. the individual installments have more in the way of like nods to the the big overarching plot um more so than they do a compelling and like coherent internal plot within that installment <laughs> um yeah for sure. there's very little in the way of character driven plots in these big franchises which is a shame yeah. because character driven plots are the best plots like objectively for um, sure. like and I think yeah. as well, yeah, I mean, for me, especially when it comes to like, standalones and books is what I've been looking into recently because they're just, you know, they're a full beginning, middle, end, and it, there's closure, you know, there's proper, there's an arc and there's closure and there's no yeah. backstepping, you know, I mean, like me, I'm a huge comic reader and like the the most painful thing is like there is no such thing as an arc, there's no character arcs yeah. because they all just step on another and then go back and then they do cartwheels and then they just kind of throw themselves out windows yeah. you know what I mean like there's just there's no consistency I guess and I guess when you see a reference the... to something in a comic book and then it's got that little asterisk next to it and at the bottom it's like <laughs> see this other comic that you don't have <laughs> and yeah. haven't read and you're like well that clears up nothing <laughs> for sure and also I just the main thing is like the retcons and the different writers and again and again and again like like the same either the same story is being hammered out a million times over or it's like there's so much inconsistency that there is no story you know and yeah. it's just like there's some characters that you want to build more they want to hear more about them go more in depth in their character but every time they do go into it it gets you know retconned but yeah. at the same time that is the beauty of the comic um that is one of like you know the most beautiful things about the comic industry and like just comics in general the actual media itself is meant to change and change rapidly and that's the point you know and that's some of the you know because of its you know its mass production and also its like rapidness but still you know ability to tell a story it's it's able to it's able to appeal to wider audiences now because because you know comics now because they're so rapidly produced and because they go so far it's it's easy for they you know they know that their audience is growing and they're working on appealing to large audiences especially because you know they're also you know bringing in new writers the writers that come from more diverse backgrounds that so they are actively also looking to pull more like not just give out more diverse stories but also make like you know pull in more people who are diverse and to their actual you know business model i guess yeah you know, besides comics, I was I one of the things for me is like like you said, standalones and also limited series, like limited TV series, those yes. also allow for a lot more character for example, the haunting of Hill House, um, and also um the haunting of Bly Manor, both of those like insane the whole thing is driven by the characters. Especially Haunting of Hill House. Like this the horror itself it's the horror itself is is the anxiety over the family like you know each individual character each especially the female characters you know 
Each of them have so much depth to them. I don't think any of them actually have any sort of physical altercations as far as I remember. But they all have like their own strengths and weaknesses. And those that, that, that storytelling, that emotional baggage, all of that ties into their arc as a character throughout the story. You know, yeah. and each of them have so much substance to them. Which is really and great think, to see. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, you can, there are those stories out there. But I think when you're forced to have these stories told in a way that they are being constantly produced, like a TV show that doesn't have an end date, you know, or um, a franchise that just wants to keep pushing out movies to get the money. Yeah. You know, those kinds of stories inherently kind of have to stall their character development and their character arcs and all of that writing just so that they can draw it out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I do think you're right. Um, All of your opinions are correct, (laughs) which is why before we before we wrap up, opinions on Eowyn from Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Specifically from I, the book. Okay, yeah, from the book. Um, <laughs> because the honestly, movies is quite a different plot line for her. For so. sure, for sure. You know, honestly, I gotta think about this. Yeah. I kind of threw that one on you. I, I want to say that she's not the fan service kind of you know, strong female character. Yeah. I want to say that. Because I feel like her motivations have always been more, like, towards her family. Yes. You know, protecting people in a more, like... And I think because it's coming from, like, a more, you know, family-oriented sort of... Not motherly, but, like, sisterly sort of, like, you know, caretaker role. That's something that's typically associated with women. I still feel like, even though... Her character is literally a fighter and, like, yeah. is kind of, a you know, a bit more of a brasher female in a way that, like, you know, we said is kind of overdone. I feel like hers is the, a, a good way to do it, you know, because her motivations are not the same. Yeah, so, I feel like... It feels like to her, you know? Yeah, I feel like she kind of tricks you into thinking that is going to be that strong female character archetype that that trope the the tm version of it but then Mm -hmm. the fact that it sort of subverts itself is quite nice i think um and it makes her into a stronger character for it um not in terms of like you know physically strong we know she's physically strong because (laughs) she beats people up on the battlefield she's awesome But she can be physically strong and also um, go into healing and the more traditionally feminine arts. And that's not a betrayal of her character. That's a development of her character because her entire arc is about learning how to value those things. Absolutely. Um, Whereas before, growing up in a a household of all men where uh, the fighting is all, like, that's what is valued the the physical pursuits Mm -hmm. her learning how to value the things that she always thought were not beneath her but like not as valuable not as valuable is yeah really important (laughs) so i like her as a character no i I know that a lot of people think that it's sort of a betrayal that that's how her arc ends no but i i don't i I, I like it i cannot feel that 
I literally cannot get myself to believe that it's a betrayal of Because how can you say that? How can you say that it's, like, I don't. The people who say that are normally the types of people who like the strong female character yes. TM. <laughs> you, you're, you're still equating having some sort of, like, masculine and, like, strength and, like, you know, fighting this all you know the the, the, t- the thing they were talking about all of that like how can yeah. you you're still equating all of that as being better than it's really just like oh well the good thing was that she wasn't like other girls and now she is like other girls what have you done and it's like well why are we assuming that other girls is all one thing like why are we yeah. assuming that that is one small little box like why are we thinking like why can't we understand that other girls is a very very vast and deep and incredibly large group of people and that have so many different you know strengths and weaknesses and aspects to them like across cultures and ethnicities and you know it's like it's just you know every individual person has so much more to them and to just say that like oh you know you're just like other girls how how do you what like yeah i I don't understand how you don't recognize that being as putting yourself in a box yeah you know and like i feel like the people who say that are basically just aon free character development like you are the worst iteration of this character make yourself better (laughs) it's so sad it's like this this is a good character arc and you're telling people that it's bad and so then people don't write it anymore and then then we get stuck with more bad writing and it's yes. just so it's so frustrating it's so frustrating to see that people thinking that like somehow i mean i just want to know i just want to know apparently being a healer is a weak thing okay next time you get your ass beat, don't come talk to me about yeah. oh i'm injured okay bitch i thought you said i was weak like these are the kinds of people who's who weak play, now figure these are it the out kinds of people who play D and are either fighters barbarians or wizards who only know how to cast fireball uh, and I'm telling you, and right like now, to have a party are... with zero healers in it, and it's like that's how you get a TPK. How baby. you die? How you get a... Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's how you get a TPK, and not just that. I'm just telling you right now. You ever play with me, and you act like that? I'm I'm telling you right now. No healing words are going out except yeah. for on myself. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody respects me apparently, and I just like issue with being like physically strong there's no issue with like wanting to fight wanting to do like there's nothing wrong with that i'm not saying that you cannot do that or like you cannot want that that is absolutely not what i'm saying yeah what i'm saying is like the idea that that is the only way to be a character that is worth reading about you know or worth seeing on screen or worth hearing about period is really really damaging yes as a society it is i agree it's just i hate it so much and how are we going to get out of this hole we're not really exactly and i think i don't there's really it's so hard because again like you said it's the self-perpetuating cycle you know uh the self-fulfilling prophecy just people you know more people putting it out and like that's all people are reading because that's all that's going out and then like again and again and again we just keep going through this tumble dry process um yeah, I just feel like there's so much that needs to be done on a story. Like, first of all, creative writing classes need to talk more about this. People need to talk more about, you know, feminism, not in its Western, because I really don't, you know, vibe with Western feminism. But, like, 
the idea of, of feminism and its you know storytelling and diversity and all of those things and having depth in a story rather than just something that will sell and i think that's really sad because like the only way to really get these stories out there is to take away the financial like the incentive sort of to write yeah. these stories which is like get a book out get money you know when really like looking at how much authors earn in a year no one should go into that thinking they're going to make money <laughs> that's my <laughs> thing you know so, like, I, I feel like when you, if you have a story to write you have to write from your heart you have to feel like it's a good story you know and i feel like a lot of people water down what they want to tell as a story because they're worried of how it will be perceived in the public yeah and i just feel like you know honestly there are so many books there are, you go into bar, you go into a barnes and noble or any sort of like bookseller store there are so many books most of them do not get sold be like it takes forever for books to get sold your yeah your books are next to millions and millions of other writers like be real with yourself i'm not telling you don't write but i'm saying like looking at how many books there are it's not like unless you, your book is not going to go viral unless it's the same formula as every other book that's gone viral and yes. I think that's the problem you know and i think that if you want to tell a good compelling story you have to stop looking at it at like a as a sort of you know a selling point and rather look at it as like this is what i wanted to write and i think that's yeah. why sometimes fan fiction has a lot more depth and you know it sometimes is a more emotionally appealing read yeah in some situations because these authors are writing for themselves rather yeah. than sort of commercial you know situation where they're trying to sell yeah definitely so, there's there's so much love involved mm -hmm. in any kind of fan content um whether it's love for the source material or love for the art of writing i guess or love for the community that you are writing into um yeah or and if you're writing like some kind of au or some kind of like crossover slash fusion type thing so there's got to be so much love in there for what you are writing and how you are writing it that i think often does not come across in commercial fiction because it's commercial um you don't start writing fanfic expecting to make any money because that's illegal yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are doing that all for free um and i think like for all that there's sort of this stereotype that fan fiction is inherently lesser and that writers who start in fan communities and then go on to commercial fiction are inherently worse at writing and their books aren't as good i think that's not necessarily true i just think that it's like it's like it's a different genre in and of itself like for all that um there is some like fanfic out there that's got this amazing world building and it's got really good character development and it's got good plot and all of that it's got all these like individual things that are included in commercial fiction as well that are by themselves really good. I think there's something about the structure and the way fan fiction is written that makes it very different from the stuff that you would pick up off the shelves of a book of a bookshop. So yes, absolutely. Like that's where I think the 
fan fiction is worse opinion comes from yeah uh, just because it's Mm -hmm. different um but it's a different style yeah it really is and i think that i just i you know i think that's because like again in fan fiction is where you can find the good the good character driven art but like you know hey what are you going to do about the mainstream stuff like what are you going to do about books that are being published the movies that are being made the tv shows that are being shown like how do you even how do you begin to even change that yeah especially when those things typically don't do well yeah <laughs> you know what i mean it's like yeah how can you have to change i mean that you men- you've mentioned get- um you've mentioned everything everywhere all at once a few times now and i think that is the exception to the rule that is that- literally it is a standalone thing that has nothing to do with a franchise or any kind of like really big production type thing um and it has swept up at all the awards and is incredibly popular so i think that is possibly the the sole exception to what we are saying is that in the um it is is breaking all those boundaries but i don't know that we'd see something else like that just because one movie did it doesn't mean that the whole industry is going to change it just means that one movie did it we need to see the same thing happening year in year out before anything's going to start changing which is a shame because i would love to see more movies like that (laughs) yes i would love to see things that aren't the same formula over and over again yes (laughs) and i just think that at the same time on a a bit of a lighter note i do believe that because indie movies have like like everything everywhere all at once and the banshees of into sharon that's not one that i'm talking about a strong female character but you know just in general that is another movie that exists that is an indie movie that did get popular and that you know i we are seeing a lot more indie movies is what i'm saying that they are pushing forward against like the typical franchise grain and like you know against disney against you know your typical fox and this and that and the other and you know dreamworks all those things and i'm not yeah. saying that those you know companies can't come out with good movies puss in boots the last wish was the best movie i've seen in my life uh fundamentally <laughs> changed me as a person but also the batman 2022 has also done this. currently wearing a shirt for that movie i'm not saying those you know fr- those you know franchises can't come up with great movies but i'm saying is like it's the same companies the same stories over and over again you know like yeah it's very hard to have a fresh take on something without it not going well. For example, Turning Red by Disney, a fresh take, something that we haven't seen from Disney ever before, I don't believe. Um, It's one of the most different movies that I've seen from Disney, especially animation as well. And yet it is something that did not do well publicly because it talked about things that were quote unquote taboo or things Mm -hmm. that, you know, was too cringe for some people because of, you know, the age range that, but i mean that's the thing right like you know those different viewpoints those different stories all those things that make a unique story do not do well in franchises and so it's really great to see it happening in indie movies and it's really great to see not only that they're happening but also that they are actually getting some sort of popularity so i do believe that you know indie movies will continue to keep pushing and i do believe that we will be seeing more of them and hopefully we'll be seeing better you know more and more or movies being you know oscar nominated and like actually getting the publicity and the views and you know all of that sort of popularity that allows us to actually get to see more uh, uh you know a deeper lean into the diverse and um you know i guess more substantial stories that we are 
you know, seeing through these. Yeah. Companies so there records. is hope, which is good. <laughs> I believe there's hope. I do believe there's hope. I yes. just think that it's going to take some pushing. <laughs> yes. We all and a lot of me preaching on soapboxes in the middle of the mall, like, <laughs> yes. crazy person. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just, it, it's also really funny because as a person, I'm like, oh, you know, this, I feel like my opinion is something that I feel like a lot of people have. But again, I also feel that way because I have, you know, two sisters who have the same opinions as me in this matters. So it's just me in like an echo booth yeah hearing the same thing over and over again you know and i'm like yeah everyone thinks this right it turns out they don't and it's so hard to get book and movie recommendations from other people <laughs> because of this very reason yeah so i'm like oh okay that sounds good and i start reading and i'm like oh it's one of these <laughs> yeah. but yeah i just think that like there is you know obviously there are people out there who do you know think that there should be changes and like they need to be more um different stories being told you know more substantial stories being told and i do think that that's also happening though because like we have you know more of the world and more people with different backgrounds and stories of their own to tell have more access to you know making these stories and like more access to producing and writing and all these things and i think that is probably the key way that you know these changes that we really want to see these actually progressive, you know, changes that we want to see in these characters and these stories, the way that we'll see it is by making, you know, the arts and writing and producing and all of these things more accessible and more widespread yes. for people. That's how you get it. That's how you get it done. Yes. You have to spread it. So I think the moral of this uh, very long story is be oh the change God, yeah. that you want to see in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. If you, if, you two are, if you two are unsatisfied with the stuff that you are reading and the stuff that you are watching, go write stuff. Yeah, if you feel like <laughs> it's all the same, make it different. You know yeah. how, you know what it is that you keep reading and you keep thinking, wow, I've seen this a million times before. This is not very interesting. You know what would be interesting then. You know what you want to see. And I feel yeah. like you need to lean into that part of yourself that wants to see difference that wants to see something exciting something new you know the novelty you have to not be afraid of the novelty and the fact that it may not be received well and have to push for something that you're proud of you know yes. something that you feel like yeah i wrote that and i feel like no one else could have written that if you love the thing that you're writing that, yeah. other people will be able to tell and they will love it too um which is i think one of the one of the really nice things about writing as an art um yeah so yeah you don't have to appeal to every audience you need to appeal to your audience and you know that will which is primarily you you, <laughs> you know your your audience is first of all you second of all the people who you foist your work upon and say please read it and tell me if it's good and then yeah. it's about the general public <laughs> absolutely i feel like trying to appeal to everyone is going to make you just feel like you did a shit job always yeah you can't please everyone and you don't need to please you everyone. can't please everyone exactly absolutely cannot there's no way in hell you're going to have a book that you're going to put out there or you're going to have a movie that you're going to put out there and everyone's going to be like wow this is the best thing ever except for puss in boots last wish but <laughs> <laughs> there's no way you're going to get that 
but yeah. you have to try. You have to try and not, not like you have to try for yourself. You have to try to appeal to yourself. You know, you can't try to be appeal to everyone else. It's it's just for you. It's a personal. It's a personal experience. Personal exploration. Yes. Writing is a thing of beauty. Try it out. And then I guess tell us what you think of it. It's probably going to be this is the yeah. most frustrating hobby in the world. How do you manage it? Uh, the answer is we don't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just get little brain worms and then write them down. Uh, <laughs> Wait. Okay, quick question. Sorry. Do you guys have an ask box? We do. On um on Tumblr, we have uh, so the, you guys the podcast has a blog on Tumblr, and that blog has an ask box. Uh, Anchor, which is our hosting platform, also apparently has an option where you can do Q&As at the end of episodes. So if okay. you have questions, you can put them in there. Um, but I would probably, I would recommend going to Tumblr first because I don't know how this Q&A thing actually works. I just got a notification about it pop up a few days ago. <laughs> but I do know how Tumblr asks work, so please do that first. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was just gonna say I want to hear what other people think. Like, what are other people like? I want to hear what other people find as really good, strong, like you know, a really good female lead character, and like movies or TV shows or books that you've seen like the absolute worst, yes, female character <laughs> TM you have ever seen in your entire life. I want to, I want to hear, I want to know. Because and I know that, I've seen a bunch, but yeah. I need to know what the worst one for you was. And on that note, where can people Sorry. find you? <laughs> they know where Me? to find us generally, but where can they find you specifically to give you all of the all of this feedback? Okay, well, I have a Tumblr at Red Hood Redemption as a dash in between, like a hyphen in between each word. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it's all lowercase, and you can find me on Tumblr um yeah that's about it i don't do twitter <laughs> none of us do it's a dumpster fire um uh, yeah, your job exactly. now is to wrap us up and head us out well on that note that was what i like and dislike actually about a strong female character trope and how it could be perfect if we all i guess worked harder on you know spreading it to a more diverse audience yeah um and that's that. Yeah. So it is goodbye from me. And, and I guess goodbye from, goodbye from you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it all the way to the end, congrats, you are officially much stronger than half of our friends. If you are enjoying listening to this podcast, please subscribe to get notified when we update, or follow us on Tumblr at Hey I Like, all lowercase. That's all for now, see you next time on Hey I Like. <laughs>